In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between the Lines. On this podcast, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. You will also hear from editors, literary agents, and publishers in the hopes of giving us all a better understanding of how it all works together. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey. I'm encouraging you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was a teacher at school handing out a writing assignment, while for others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Lines. This time, I will be speaking with Joe Giampaolo about his latest book, which is called The Reader's Companion to the Hampshire Stories series illustrated life and literature in 19th century england that's a mouthful sir hello joe and hello randy hello everyone how are you any better i'd be twins (laughs) (laughs) very well very well it's good to be here thank you so much for inviting me it's a pleasure i heard that i heard so much about your uh your podcast, so it's a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here and tell you a little bit more about uh, uh, my books. And thank you again for inviting me. Well, you know, just wait till we get going. You might not say the same thing well <laughs> when we're done. Uh, Joe, I wonder if you take a few minutes and introduce yourself. You know, say a few words about who Joe is and where sure. you're from and that kind of stuff. Sure. I was born in Rome, in Italy, 59 years old. I came to Canada when I was about 16, so a long time ago. So I spent most of my life in Canada. Went to university, and I got married, and I have a wonderful wife and two beautiful children. They're adults, so they're 30 and 28 years old, and we have two lovely dogs, Asuka and Buddy. I started writing about uh, four or five years ago, just for fun, just for fun. Uh, I was at home, so I'm retired. And uh, it was a great way to spend the time. I read a lot. I read them 
an average of about 50 books a year, mainly in um, historical or 19th century literature, uh, some magic realism, I, another, another genre that I enjoy very much. And that's it. So I started writing about a couple of years ago and I published uh, my, first, uh, my first book, Hampshire Stories, a collection of tales uh, set in 19th century England uh, about a year and a half ago in August of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm now on May 1st, I'll be coming out with my fourth book. We'll talk about your books in a little bit. Of course, of course. So is that all you want to share? Right sure. I, I, as far as... Uh, as far as work, I worked uh, in uh, banks. I worked for the for the Italian government in uh, in trade and, and business, and I worked for a language a language center. I have quite a varied background that goes from education to banking to marketing and business. So that's my background as far as work. I I do love cooking. Anything from uh, pastries, I even make some pastries, Italian pastries, lots of uh, lots of meat dishes, pasta dishes. Uh, so yeah, I quite enjoy. Again, being at home, it's quite. Uh, yeah, I try to make myself, uh, you know, useful as well. For my, my wife works, so I I tend to prepare dinner and uh, and so on, clean up the house a little bit. So yeah, uh, the cooking is definitely a big uh, a big aspect uh, of my life, and I enjoy it quite. I enjoy the cooking and the eating. Well, uh, we'll get right into question period here, Joe. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> so question number one, then, is how did you come to choose the genre you write, or did it choose you? I think, uh, I think the, the genre uh, chose me. Like, uh, it's, uh, I write historical romances, as you know. Uh, I also write some uh, nonfiction, so uh, it's still about 19th century England, so history literary criticism and so on. It, it kind of shows me I love the literature of that time, 19th century English uh, literature, some obviously some French literature of the time, like Gustave uh, Flaubert. And uh, it kind of shows me I love that style. I, the, the language, the prose of that period of time in English really appealed to me. It's very flowery, it's very elegant. It reminds me a lot of uh, Romance languages like Italian, uh, Latin, and so on. So it's very appealing. I like that uh, that uh, the elegant prose. I like the also at least for the for the Jane Austen and so on. I like the the innocence of these books. So there, it's really talks about it in a different time and different uh, something very different that I enjoy very much. Um, also, for writing, again, because of my background, in, uh, I took classical studies in, uh, in Italy, in high school, and in university here, I continue with, uh, uh, with similar uh, courses like uh, philosophy and history and so on. I find that it's, it suits uh, very much my, my style of writing, my prose, uh, which is, again, a little bit more flowery than usual. Uh, I like to believe that it's a little more elegant. So it really matches very well the style of, the, of that period, the literature of that period of time. So if, uh, if I showed up in a time machine in front of your house sure. and said, Joe, let's go, where, when would you want to go to? That's a great question. Um, well, it, we're talking about books, right? What I, my, the literature I like. I would, I would love to go back to London uh, 
I don't know, 18, uh, 1815, 1820, uh, maybe even before 1810, and try who knows uh, to go to Hampshire and uh, and meet Jane Austen. What do you think? That's that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Regency time is very interesting. Obviously, uh, in Victorian times, uh, uh, London becomes quite interesting. Even later, you know, the difference between nineteenth uh, century English literature it's so appealing because it starts with uh, with the uh, idealism. Uh, the idealism of Jane Austen uh, and other writers of the time, which is again uh, topics that you know talk about love, innocent love, uh, romantic love, and then the literature changes into uh, the realism, the Victorian realism, with, which embraces a whole different uh, society that has a that has a, a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of problems because again, all these cities like London that exploded in population mm -hmm. uh, by after the 1840s, 1850s, and you see a lot of poverty, a lot of prostitution, a lot of uh, you know uh, working conditions that are not exactly the best uh, the best condition. So it, it, there's quite a huge contrast between that uh, uh, rural or, or small town idyllic uh, romantic. Uh, setting of Jane Austen and the harsh realities of the London suburbs or downtown of London in, uh, with Thomas Hardy, for example, or uh, especially uh, Charles Dickens. So I find the contrast very interesting. And as a writer in those times, things would have been a lot different because obviously we don't, they didn't have light bulbs and you know, so it would, right. the, the element of, of, of your workplace or your workspace would have been a little different because, yeah, you, you have your daylight and then you've got your torches or, or you know, whatever they used in the period. Right. Uh, but even still, the lighting would have affected your writing dramatically. Of course, of course. And what's interesting, obviously, is that, for example, even uh, by looking at some of the manuscripts of the time, uh, it's interesting that you see actually corrections done by hand on of more or less the final draft, right? So it, everything had to be rewritten over and over again, corrected over and over again. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a much bigger task than what we have today with the computers. So obviously at the time they used to use, uh, um, you know, they, they, they used to use, you know, they didn't have pencil, they had to use the pencil or the plume or whatever they called it. So it's, it's interesting. Yes, definitely a much more, difficult task than we have today. Do you think you would have been at home as a writer with those conditions? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, sure. Because, uh, you know something, I love reading. Uh, I do read uh, about an hour, uh, an hour and a half a day, and if I could, I would read even more. Yeah, obviously, reading by candle is not the best thing. Uh, it would affect your eyes, you know, of course. So, it, it would be difficult, especially in England at that time in the winter, it would probably get dark even by four o'clock, most likely, right? So, yeah, it, it, would, it would definitely, the darkness would definitely cut into the, the reading time, that's for sure. But then again, a nice fireplace, right? Nice, uh, a glass of port, right? And here you go, right? And then you have a nice book and you're all set. Well, you can still do that today with your tablets, though, but anyway. Of course, of course. Question number two. Do you think it's important for anyone who thinks they're a writer to get education for it? That's a great question, Randy. Let's start with the with the idea that you know, obviously, the 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 more 
you know, the more knowledge, the more education you have in any field, it's definitely not going to hurt, obviously. There is something that, for example, a teacher can explain to a student much more quickly than if you would have to learn it by yourself, especially in certain fields like philosophy, which can become, can be very, very complicated. But in literature, they can explain all the points about how to develop a plot and so on. Having said that, I, I don't think it's necessary. I don't have a huge uh, background as far as uh, as writing. I've taken uh, many courses uh, in uh, creative writing on the internet and uh, from various schools. So you, sure, it, it helps. It gives you an idea. But I think the most important thing is actually reading. If you read a lot, you're going to learn all those things as well. You're going to learn from the best, right? You're going to learn from the actual authors. So I don't think it's necessary. Maybe a couple of courses, just to give you a rough idea of where you're going, uh, how to do everything very quickly will save you a little bit of time, and then just read, read as much as you can. Again, not a, education is not important as much, but it, definitely you have to know what you write about, so you have to have, have a good background. Again, you can achieve uh, with reading, by reading, reading the books. I, I never read a, an historical romance written in modern time. I only read literature from 19th century. First of all, because I, I like it better. I like it. I like that time. Like I said, I like the, the prose of that time. But also it gives you the historical background and the historical accuracy that you have, you know, when you study, when you read the Jane Austen, you're going to know exactly the historical appropriate events and behaviors, historical backgrounds and so on. So yes, reading is the main thing. At least it was for me. What about writing a historical fiction set 40, 50, 60 years in the future, looking back to today? That is a great question. There are, there are actually a lot of writers I know today that do that, right? Okay. That, that, that deal with, uh, with, this, uh, with, you know, with the historical romance and they go into the future and so on. It's something that I would love to do because, I, like I mentioned before, I love magic realism as well and science fiction. So merging the... The, the various genres uh, sounds, uh, sounds amazing. The only thing, I would not do it with this series. I would have to create a different series because uh, this series that I have, the Hampshire Story series, it, I really pride myself on the uh, historical accuracy of, of the stories. So again, even the both uh, would have to be quite different. So yes, starting a different, uh, a different, you know, a different story or a different set, that would be great. I would love to do that. And maybe I will do that in the, you know, the next few years. So I'm going to ask you to finish the following sentence and then explain why. All right. Sure. So sure. I wish I had written what book? Um, Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Again, we're talking about 19th century literature. This one obviously is French. The book is just it's the quintessential historical, well, historical romance. So the 19th century romance. It has everything. Yes, an incredible passion. It has romance. It has various social aspects. Uh, you know, especially you know the the changing role of women uh, at the time, where they were, you know, where they had to be, you know, they always had to be very proper. And so here we're talking about having extramarital affairs and dealing with the with that aspect of uh, and, you know, and the society response to that. So it, it, a fantastic book for the time. And now I'm not too sure what the time, I think it was 1850s, something like that, that it was written. So an amazing, amazing book. I couldn't put it down. I've read it already 
three, four times. I, I think it's, uh, it's the most wonderful book of that uh, century. Moving along then. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, hey, I could have written that book. And which book was it? There are there are a few. If we're talking about historical romance, again, I would have to go with uh, with uh, Madame Bovary, but also Emma by Jane Austen. I think that it's something very similar to what I write. The, the, those are the, or even Thomas Hardy. Any Thomas Hardy's uh, uh, novels, I think. Uh, I think I, I always looked up uh, to Thomas Hardy, and I think uh, I always try to imitate his style, his prose. Uh, Fantastic. If we get out of uh, that genre, I would have to pick probably Jorge Louis Borges' fiction, fiction which was written in 1944, I believe. It's a set of short stories. And uh, again, thinking about the time that it was written, so we're talking about the Second World War, it has aspects of uh, science fiction, of psychological thrillers, of uh, mythological creatures, of uh, dimen different dimensions, different worlds. So again, something like that wasn't very common at the time. Sure, we had uh, a great new world, I believe, by Huxley's uh, maybe, what, 10 years before or something like that. But again, something very different, very new. It, it is amazing to have the ability, the, the creativity, the fantasy, and the, and the skills and the talent to create that kind of a book. Doing it at that time, it's, it's unbelievable. It's stunning. So uh, again, you know, we're talking about 70, 80 years ago. So quite a, quite a different uh, society, quite a different, you know, quite a different life. You know, we, they didn't have the technology that we have today, the computers, the, the all the science fiction movies and books that we had in the last, uh, in the last 70, 80 years. So it really uh, an amazing book. Of touch, taste, sight, smell, which one do you incorporate into your writing the most? Okay, so once we talked about this in the past, and you caught me, with this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change my answer. <laughs> I, I, well, let me go like this. I'm gonna go still with sight, but with that, with the, a little bit of a difference. Sight is important. So uh, in order to set up uh, the scene, when you're talking about you know, you know, especially historical romance, you want to set up, uh, like when you enter a room, you want to give it at the other room. At the same time, I always loved using a smell as a, a, it has a very strong, a strong sensory, a sensory appeal. For example, if somebody's walking in the park, you talk about the smell of the, of the dew or the rotting leaves in, the, in, the, in, in autumn, in the fall. So uh, I would try to use as, as many, if not all of them, to create, uh, a, a, you know, to bring the reader into the book, into the scene that you're trying to describe. Again, uh, well, like we were talking about, it, like you mentioned, you made a very good point. There are some people that uh, cannot see. So how do you appear? How do you create that, uh, um, that this, the scenery? How do you set up the scenery for them? So again, using other sensory topic, you can create the same thing. So maybe by, by like we were saying, by using touch, you know, by using uh, a smell. So again, try to use as many as you can. Uh, obviously, with not every time, right? You know, a few times during the, the plot in the uh, most important scenery. I would think most people who suffer 
vision loss or 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 blind have a good sense of imagination they would have sure so it, it wouldn't be a stretch to bring anybody up to speed on what you're trying to describe or say right right but it is a forgotten element within writing because with today's technology the blind can read whether it's audiobook or or what have you right depending on the the level of their vision and i have to thank you very much for bringing that up in in a previous conversation to make me aware of that aspect to be very honest i did not think about it too much but it's an important point and like I said, uh, in our, uh, as I mentioned in our conversation, I would definitely look at some audio tapes in the future for my books and maybe even do a little bit of editing where some of the, the information is very visual and make changes slightly to some, some other sensory feel, like the feel or what have you, to keep the same sensation, to give a feeling of the, of the scene that I'm trying to set up. How yeah. many writing projects do you have on the go at any one time? I, again, I, I try to have, uh, I usually have four or five things going on at the same time. I do not like to concentrate from start to finish on one project. I like to have, uh, you know, certain days I, I decide, I, I have a feeling, you know, I want to write poetry. And another day I want to write about it, try to write a couple of chapters in my dystopian novel that I'm creating. So historical romances so are moving from... Uh, from uh, one book to another. So I, I have four or five. I usually work, obviously, there's one task that is the, the main task that I deal with, like the main book that I'm working on. But it's not 100% on that. It's uh, I, I do move uh, around a lot. Obviously, when it comes down to uh, the last month or two prior to publication of a book, obviously, almost 100% of the time goes into that. But normally, no, I switch from one, uh, from one task to, to, to another. So I have four or five, I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe even more, who knows? <laughs> Being a writer of historical fiction, how much research did you do? And where did you start? Like with clothing or the, how they talked or the food they ate, etc.? Fantastic. Excellent question. Again, I, I briefly mentioned it before. A deep, the best way to learn uh, about life and tradition and uh, in an historical accurate uh, setting of the time is by reading the books, the novels of that period of time. So again, as I mentioned before, I do not read modern historical novels. Uh, you know, I might pick up a couple of books here and there, but I'm sure there's, there's some of them excellent, like Bridgerton and so on. But they don't, even Bridgerton, for example, has a lot of... Uh, uh, historical inaccuracies in the, in their movies and the books. Uh, so again, if you learn from the, the writers of that time, uh, like Jane Austen, Hardy, Dickens, the Bronte sisters, you immediately have the, 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 the historical background that you need. So they'll describe the clothes, you know, the clothes. So, you know, for example, if in the, in the 19th, uh, Jane Austen time, they did not use uh, crinolines. Uh, but they used them later on in uh, in the 1830s and up to the end of the century. So they, you know, they you see the patterns of the tea cups, uh, you see the type of tea, you see uh, how the rooms are set up. Uh, um, so they, you can pick up all of that. And I actually started uh, collecting all this information in a manual, in in that you was gonna be a guide for me. So I learned by reading all those books. Uh, again. Uh, 
read at least, uh, I would say, 70 or 80, 100 books from that period of time. So I, I learned that way, uh, obviously watching movies, watching TV series, it's always very helpful, and also the internet, obviously. But I try to to be as, again, uh, as, historical, as historically accurate as possible. And I do that by reading uh, the books of that time, the novels of that time. Excellent. Who started you on your writing journey? And if they were listening, what would you say to them? That's a, you know, that's a great question. When they ask that question usually to famous writers, they always uh, have some great answer that there's one person that uh, guided. Unfortunately, I don't have that one person, but I have many persons I have, uh, I have to thank, including you, obviously. You've been a, a big part in the last couple of years on my, on my learning curve as a writer with your group, uh, which is always fantastic, with your prompts, with your, with, you know, so th there are a lot of people, my wife for the support that she gives me every day. Also, you know, she, she works and I don't, so she gives me the ability to stay at home and actually work on my writing, which is nice. Then my brother and my sister, they pushed me to start writing. They, they saw something in, uh, in me that obviously that they thought that I could be a good writer. Uh, some teachers in the past, in high school and uh, even in university. Friends, uh, I had friends. My ex-wife was actually very helpful, uh, incredibly helpful in uh, setting up, in, uh, in for me, in writing my first book, in telling me that I could do it, uh, giving me some tips. So uh, many, many people that I have to thank. So of all the people that know you like to write and that you do write, how many have actually asked you if, if you would write them into one of your books or stories? That's a, that's a great question. You know, so nobody's asked me that. <laughs> nobody's asked me that. But I do, I do think of a person when I, when I develop a character. Now, it's not going to be 100% like that person, but it's going to be maybe, maybe the physical aspect is going to be a one person and the character or the behavior is going to be of another one. So maybe they're a mix of, of people. But yeah, of course, there is some personal experience that goes into writing, right? So again, maybe you think of an old friend or somebody you met on the subway one day, who knows? So that they give you some ideas on how to develop a character. Yeah, but I do attach it to some people. So for example, if you look in some of my novels, some people will look like my wife or will look like some other friend or my brother or what have you, right? Or maybe a character in the box, right? Even, you know, obviously we don't want to, you know, steal the ideas or anything like that. But, you know, you might you might use a character as a, as a, as a big, you know, idea for one of your characters. Well, with that being said, then, has anybody read your books and went, ah, it reminds me a lot of me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Nobody has. Nobody has. Thank Not God. Yet. Not yet. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure they're going to come out. Some old girlfriend from 30 years ago. What do you think? No, I hope not. Do you have any advice, uh, cautions about writing you'd like to share? Yes, you know, I again, I published my first book again, like you said, uh, a, year, uh, a year and a half ago, and I really did not know anything about publishing. So I had to learn very, very quickly. I made some mistakes, which are in the marketing of the book, with the editing of the book, because again, I did not have even the contacts, for example, that I have now. So there is a, a learning curve that is. Uh, 
that everybody, I'm sure, has to go through. And it would, you know, might take a couple of months, it might take a couple of years. My suggestion is uh, for people like me anyway, that if you're a fantastic writer and you have a lot of talent and you have the ability of getting one of the top five, six publishers in North America, uh, that is fantastic, obviously. It's a guarantee for success in any way, in some ways. But having said that, if you're like me, and you know, again, I most likely don't have the talent or the abilities to aspire to a publisher of that caliber, is go in it by yourself. Don't wait. I know I was reading actually some of the posts in a couple of uh, in a couple of uh, uh, groups, uh, writing groups uh, on Facebook, and they were saying, you know, this is the I sent uh, whatever a hundred manuscripts in the last year, and they're all being uh, rejected and so on. Uh, you know something? Publish, self-publish. Okay, there are many many advantages of being uh, of, of self-publishing. And first of all, what I like, I, all my books are self-published. I have never looked for a, uh, an official publisher, um, again, because I know I couldn't get one of the top ones. Um, the advantages are, first of all, that you make a lot more in revenue. So by self-publishing on Amazon, for example, I get about 70% of royalties. If I had a publisher, I could book maybe for 10 or 15% of the most. Now, this is a huge difference that you can use actually in marketing your book and promoting your book, which you would, you would have to do anyway with a publisher, with a small publisher. So why not use that money that you make, keep, keep it for yourself and use it to market your book and sell more books. And that's what I've done, right? So again, there are, uh, there are many, many, especially in the States, there are many newsletters and many companies that would promote your book uh, by email or again by publishing their newsletter and they range anywhere from, uh, from a, for a daily advertisement uh, anywhere from like 20 American dollars to whatever 75 American dollars you know if you can sell even 50 30 20 you get most of the money back or some of the money back and you can use it to promote again with uh, in a few months right so uh, i find self-publishing a lot more satisfying because i can write whatever i want whatever i feel like it right we were talking about it uh, i think you and i and we talked about this a lot like write because you love writing not mm -hmm. because it's a job Absolutely. right so you want to write something that really appeals to you that you love writing and that you're proud of writing right and that you know about right so again uh, that is the main thing uh, when I sit down, I don't want to say, oh my goodness, I have to come up with a, with a chapter by next week. I don't know. I don't like this topic. I don't know anything about this topic. When I write, I'm almost in a state of beatitude. I, I am, my mind is transported and my, it, just, it just flows from, I can imagine the scenery in my head and it just goes into paper, into a, on the piece of paper. So have, I can write whatever I want. Like some days I feel like writing poetry. I'm sure you've seen some of them that are not that exceptional, not like yours anyway. But, you know, whatever you feel like, you do it. You don't want to write about poetry, write about poetry. So that's one another advantage. The other advantage is, uh, we talked about it. You get more money, you write what you want. And also you, the deadlines, right? You don't have to come up with a book by next year that uh, you have to do the research that you don't like. That, uh, so uh, I see a lot more, uh, many more advantages in having self-publishing than in publishing with a small publisher. And some of the results, as uh, as you know, uh, you know, kind of support what I'm saying. Like, for example, 
uh, all of my books have been in top 100 bestsellers on Amazon in Italy, Canada, United States, today in uh, even in England, the last book is in the top 100, and in the States it's number two today. So I haven't even done any major advertisement for that book in about a month. So again, very, very much more success. I know a lot of people that have a publisher and do not have that success. And again, I don't want to give you the idea that I sell millions of books because I don't. But I, you know, sometimes you sell ten books in a day, and you're gonna you're gonna go up to the ranking really quickly, right? So again, many more advantages in that. So throw yourself in it, do what you love, write about what you like, and promote your book. But to be fair uh, mm -hmm. about your Amazon numbers. Yes. Depending on your niche or your genre, there right. may not be a lot being written in that field or in that genre. Sure. So it, it's easy to shoot up to number one, number two, or. Sure. Uh, of course, uh, when we're talking about my books, you know, Victorian romance and Regency romance are some of the largest groups, right? There are, there are tens of thousands of, of books on Amazon, yeah. at least. Like I know sometimes I'm a number 15,000, right? So it's not a small thing. The literary criticism, obviously, it's a lot smaller, but, you know, English, 19th century English, uh, literary criticism of English literature, it's not a tiny thing. You know, there's the tons of books that talk about Dickens and Thomas Hardy and, right, and life and so history of, uh, of England at that time. So it's, it's a much smaller uh, category. Yes, I agree. That's why I'm doing much better. But it, it's not, it's not tiny, right? If it was in like a Italian literature in, written in English here in Canada, Italian literature of the 1700s, 1600s, yeah, that would be very small. But English literature, you know, it, 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 there's quite a bit up there. At the same time, though, you know, we could sell as, you know, 100 books, 200 books, 1,000 books, whatever. But what's really important to self-published writers and, and maybe even uh, to the traditional publishing is the need for reviews because that's what really pushes us up pushes us, pushes us up is those reviews you know, sure okay uh reviews are, are unfortunately a very painful uh, topic for most writers i get maybe reviews by maybe by one percent of the readers it's really People don't like about it. One success that I, one suggestion I can make that I can make is uh, for reviews is to contact book clubs. Book clubs, those people love to write reviews. You will see them anywhere. For example, Goodreads. Just go to Goodreads and see whoever. Go look for a similar book and contact that person. They, these people love to read books and love to put reviews out. That it's actually they take courses in how to write reviews, right? So it's, it's, it's something of a, uh, you know, but unfortunately, very not, not everybody does that. Like, for example, when I read a book, maybe 10%, uh, I will, you know, 10% of the books I will read review. It really has to, has to, like, I really have to like it a lot for me to write a review. So again, uh, yeah, 1% is not good. It's not very good, unfortunately. It's a painful topic, yes. And then uh, hopefully, you know, you have some friends that uh, buy your books and hopefully uh, they like the book and the reviews. Like, yeah, but it's, uh, it, it's a tough, uh, tough business to be in. So you mentioned my writing group earlier, uh, Canadian right. Creative Writers. Right. Which is now at over 1,200 members. Yay! Yes, yes. And every so often I put 
one of my books up for free for a week right with the hopes that 1200 people will go out and get it and then right. give me reviews right and you know i know a lot of people have <clears throat> excuse me have downloaded the the free copy of my book right right and only a handful if that have ever given a review so it's really hard to believe oh yeah i'll review it especially family they're the yes. ones that are the most supportive but they're the ones that let us down the most can i can i tell you something i i completely agree with you it's a very frustrating of all my friends maybe like i have thousands of friends on facebook i have dozens of friends you know friends in real life and and can i tell you maybe five or six of them or my real friends and family have bought the book even less you know reviews right so i find that a lot of for example in italy i have more reviews in italy because i have thousands or hundreds and, and maybe even a couple of thousands of friends from italy that are all writers so you know, they understand the, the importance of that. So, for example, in Italy, I have a lot of reviews from uh, writers that I'm friends on Facebook. So, it, it, yeah, it, it takes, like, it really, you have to look for them everywhere. You know, friends, family, uh, writing groups, all sorts of things. Yes, absolutely. They're very hard to get. But if you think about it on Amazon with three books that have done very well, I think I'm not even uh, up to 100 reviews yet with three books. So yes, it's it's uh, it's very very hard. It's very difficult. The main thing, honestly, is to get uh, bloggers, book reviewers that they do that for fun. If you can find a few of those, that would be great. You mentioned Goodreads. I'm still trying to figure out how to work that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I asked my wife to do that for me actually, so she did a good job. Yeah, uh, we were talking about it another time actually. I'm I'm totally useless with uh, technology. You're much more advanced, advanced than I am. I basically use Facebook and that's about it. Again, I'm not a, obviously a, a top writer or anything like that. So I try to do one or two things very well instead of doing 10 of them, not, not so well. So I'm concentrating. Uh, I basically promote my books in two ways, uh, Facebook and uh, and newsletters in the states unfortunately in england italy and canada we don't have anything like that or at least i'm not aware of them mm -hmm. so it's a lot harder to to actually sell books in, in even though I, again i've done quite quite well but in the states it's very easy lots of newsletters lots of companies that will advertise your book so joe that was a a, a beautiful segue into part two of this uh okay, conversation good. which good. is entitled shameless plugging <laughs> I'm sorry, shameless? Shameless plugging. Okay. So uh, question number one is, what works do you currently have in publication? Uh, so plug your plug your most recent book, but be sure to mention, mention them all. Okay, great. Okay, I'll start with, um, with, okay, well, we'll start with the one that is actually coming out. It's on pre-order right now, and it's coming out on May the 1st, The Master of Emmett Manor. Yeah? And it's a fiction, it's a Regency, a Regency romance, and it's a, a wonderful love story set in the 1820s in, uh, in a little town, Blackwater, in Hampshire, which is, at the, which is basically the scenery for most of my, of my stories. It's wonderful, even as a pre-order, it's already made the top 100 in Italy and Canada on Amazon. So it's, it's doing very well. It's a lovely story, and, and everybody will love it. I have... I've had very good feedback about it, so I'm hope I hope it's going to be the the best book. 
The last book, which just came out a couple of months ago, is, is doing extremely well. And it's a little bit strange because I, I, it was kind of an afterthought, an afterthought for me. It's a, it's a non-fiction, but uh, we talked about it before. It's uh, called the, like, the Reader's Companion to the Hampshire Story Series, Life and Literature in 19th Century England. So it's a fiction book. It's something that, uh, a non-fiction book, sorry. And it's, it's something that I did more for fun. For fun. I had most of the material on my manual, so like I mentioned before. So I said, why don't I put something out? I had a couple of months where I wasn't doing too much, and I put together this book, and it's doing amazing. It was number one in the States. It was number one in Canada in two months. Today, I mentioned again, it's number two in the States, number 57 in England. So it's doing very, very well. And it's, uh, and it, and it's fantastic because it, it's a different type of writing, like we were saying last time. It's a uh, uh, fiction. Fiction is much more creative. Obviously, it takes a much. It takes much more creativity. It takes much more talent. It takes much. Uh, you gotta really be careful with the writing. It has to be historically accurate. So, it said the nonfiction is very easy. It's just a matter of research. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use like fancy language, right? You can use actually the basic English is usually the best way to go for nonfiction books. You want to be as clear as possible, right? So. A totally different approach, something that I did more to promote my fiction books than anything else. And instead, it's ending up being my, my, you know, my most successful book so far. And uh, the first and second one, the first one was the Hampshire Story. Uh, Hampshire Story is a collection of tales set in 19th century England, which was a collection of each short stories. Uh, some of them were short uh, Regency romances. Some of them were Victorian dramas. One of them was, uh, uh, we also write about ghost stories and gothic tales. And there's also one gothic tale in that book. The second book is uh, The Farmer's Daughter, a Regency romance. And again, it's a lovely love story. So uh, again, so far, three fiction, three um, ro- uh, Regency romances and uh, Victorian stories, and one nonfiction, the literature and the history of England of, of that period of time. So... so that's uh, that's basically my bibliography. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> four so far. So, for those listening, you've heard Joe refer to previous conversations that he and I have had, and this is a second interview because the first one, the quality of the interview, the sound quality of the interview, was subpar, and so we agreed that instead of forcing you to hear or try to hear what was being said and whatnot we decided to do this over under different circumstances and so that's what he refers to when joe mentions previous conversations so but also we do talk on facebook once in a while yes so we, we do. do exchange on the on post on the, on your group so we we do chat chat a lot yes and Joe's also bought several of my books, and I've purchased several of his. And yes, of course. He's left of reviews. Course. I haven't read his yet, so I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> or listen to them, at least. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy them, too. Oh, I, I probably like will. I, mean, you I know, hope so. <laughs> I, I think I would probably enjoy it more knowing that you wrote it than anything sure. else. Yeah, you know, it's not a genre that I'm curious about, right. but I, in support of you, I would read it. But also, I, 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 find, I, I, you're perfectly right. I find that when I read a book of somebody that I know, like a friend or somebody, it does hit you more because you almost see 
why they wrote that, or uh, or you cannot you cannot uh, you can see part of his personality or her personality uh, flowing into the poetry or into the book. So yeah, and knowing that person is actually very interesting. It makes the book makes the book a lot more. It brings the book to a different dimension. Well, let me ask you, you this: and you've read yes. my poetry. Yes. Yes. Through through reading my poetry, how much more do you think you know me? Well, there's a lot, obviously, that uh, that you went through in life, and you mentioned also uh, as you know talking, but also there, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of a lot of hardship that it comes out through. There's a, there's a, there's you know emotional, very emotional at times. Uh, so there is a, there is a lot. There is a lot. There's a huge psychological aspect. Um, the you know moments is yeah. There's there's a lot about what I can imagine your past being from what you told me it was uh, that I can see. Yeah, of course it's it's very I wouldn't say biographical or anything like that. But there is obviously there's a lot of the emotions that you must have gone through during your life. That being said, how much of yourself do you put into your books? Not not so much. Uh, obviously, there is there, in the protagonist usually. There's some aspect uh, of his personality that I see in myself, obviously. Joe, I like you. I like you. <laughs> the the perfect answer there would have been you'll have to read to find out. <laughs> exactly. Very, you're right. So read and you tell me exactly. Exactly. Do you presently have anything you're working on, and if so, how close is it to being completed? Okay, I'm working right now on three things three books. Uh, the next one coming out after the one in May is a collection of the first three novels, uh, novellas. I'm going to put them in uh, one collection. So it's going to be a hardcover. It's going to have some illustrations, going to be in colors. Uh, so it's going to be a, a gift set of okay. the, in a hardcover. I think it's going to be very nice. It's going to be very, I like it great for, for example, for Christmas as a present or anything like that. And I'm going to divide them by shame. By uh, yeah, by yeah, by um, So you're gonna have one section. I'm gonna start with the love stories. Then I'm gonna move into the dramas, and then into the psychological, gothic, uh, ghost tales. So there's gonna be three sections in it, and they're gonna be divided. So I think it's a great, uh, a great thing to do. And that's basically done. Right? The, the the writing is already been done. It's just a matter of putting it together, uh, which is usually not uh, not a lot of work. The other one I'm working on a dystopian uh, novel. I do not know if it will ever be published, but I again I love that that genre, and I'm trying to to write. So I have a, a you know a few chapters in that, and I'm working. I started my fourth fiction book, um, very very much at the beginning stage. Let's say I wrote maybe a couple of chapters. So so those are the three things you're looking at. So one more publication by the end of the year, the collection, maybe another fiction uh, next year another novella next year and the dystopian novel we'll see one day wonderful so there's not going to be any shortage of joe no 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 you're gonna (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna have me around for a while flood the market that's how you do it (laughs) that's that's it (laughs) all right joe so you've kind of alluded to this but we'll do it anyway because it needs to be done yeah where can people connect with you uh things like email or a website uh snail mail a blog or do you have a blog site do you have a, a website meta or facebook or right. whatever you want to call it 
TikTok, Twitter, right. Instagram. I could go on right. if you want. Right. No, no, no. Okay, actually, <laughs> like I was saying before, I'm really useless uh, with uh, with computers. Right now, you can contact me obviously on Facebook. I have a page, uh, a personal page, and I have a, a book page. It's called The Ambitious Story Series by Joe Paolo. Over there, I obviously there you can contact me and uh, contact me through uh, Messenger. Can I you spell really... your last name for people? Yeah, yeah. It's G I A M P A O L O and Joe J O E. And uh, Hunter Stories by George and Paolo. And you can contact the messenger. I, if somebody wants, obviously, I can send uh, an email uh, address, obviously, that I, and also I'm on, I have a Facebook, another page on Amazon, obviously. And uh, over there, you cannot contact me, but you can get more information about my books and uh, about me as well. You can see pictures of my dogs, uh, pictures of my mountain bike, and so on. And contrary to popular belief, authors on Amazon do love it when they find out people are following them. That's right. That's right. Uh, that, so I know you follow me, right? So now you bet. All right. And I believe I follow you. No, I'm you do. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> it's important for, for, for authors. I mean, you yeah. know, it, it, maybe it's a little bit of personal gratification that, hey, somebody's following me. You know, it, it sure. might, it's the smallest thing, but it means a lot. But it, not only that, you know, I, there's actually a very practical uh, aspect to it because, I, for example, when I came out with my second book, all the people that bought my first book on Amazon got an email saying that I came out with my second book. And then all people, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, I, we haven't talked in a few months, so did they know I was coming out with something? It's a great way to, that they advertise your, your book, right? You bought the first one, you might be interested in the second one. Here's the email from Amazon. And they were all very surprised. I said, that's great, you know? So again, they do even some of the marketing for you. And if you sell a little bit, I think if you have over uh, a certain number of sales, or I don't know, around maybe 100, 200 books in one country, or if you have over uh, 30 or 50 reviews, they do some free advertisement for you. So you can use Amazon quite a lot for, uh, for promotion. Absolutely, it's a fantastic place. And again, you get 70% of the royalty, so you can't go wrong. Nope, God bless Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Joe, yes, yes, do you have any parting words of wisdom? Parting words, yes. Uh, as a writer, uh, you mean, or as a... In life, in writing, in loving, okay. whatever. Let's let's do both writing and life. In life, you know, something we we're mentioning about your uh, your past. I had you know a little bit of a tough life. Well, you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but I had my my you know up and downs. And you know something, uh, just just believe in yourself. Uh, do something that you like, and uh, possibly creative, if not whatever. And love love people, love your wife, your children, your friends. Uh, spread positivity love kindness and it will come back to you it will come back to you and and that's that's why and be happy with yourself because if you're happy with yourself you're gonna you're gonna amaze yourself how far you can go how far you can how many things you can do for writing i mentioned it before don't wait around i see so many great writers on, on on your group and other groups and they wait for years 10 years writing the book, then 10 years time to get it published, throw, go right into it, self-publish, uh, 
learn the ropes really quickly. You know, there's just a few things that you have to know, you know, you know, a good editing, like we talked about it last time, learn where to promote your books for, for cheap. And, and that's it. And then you have success. And like you said before, when you create a book that you love, that's the most important thing. You don't care if you sell 100, 200, or 500. So write what you love, believe in what you do, and promote it. And the, the people will see that, will like it. To add to that, though, you said write what you love. I would counter that or add to that. Write what you love, but love what you write. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Very good point to, 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 to sum that up. Very good. Joe, again, this has been wonderful. I've enjoyed every uh, conversation that we've ever had, but I think um, putting it in this format for other people to enjoy is even, even better. Uh, I've gotten to know you more. I've gotten to understand you more. Well, because we've done this twice. <laughs> but no it's it's, it's I, I get a kick out of interviewing people and uh this experience with you has been fantastic thank you for your time thank your wife again for lending you to me for however long we've been doing that hello maria <laughs> randy and, i want go i want to thank you so much mm. for everything that you do uh for all the members of the group uh you put your your life, your time into it, your talent, your your everything, your sense of friendship, and it's fantastic what you do. I really appreciate the possibility that you give people like me uh, the chance to talk about our uh, our books, our lives, and you do it with again. You're a good person. You're a fantastic person. I'm honored to be your friend, and I'm honored to be here with you right now. And I thank you again. Good night, Joe. Have a good one. Thank you. You have been listening to Between the Lines. In future episodes, I will not only be speaking with Canadian authors and writers, I will also be speaking with those from the other side of the writing industry, editors, agents, and publishers, in the hopes of getting a better understanding of how it all works together. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Send all your comments, suggestions, or any questions you'd like to have a guest answer to me at randy.dplpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. While there, look for the Buy Me a Coffee button to help support the podcast. Thank you for your time and your ears. Tune in, be inspired, and write on. In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, 
I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. 